Hello and welcome to GPS, the Gamer Pros Show. It's the official podcast of GamerPros.co. You are joining us for episode 67, so thanks for tuning in. My name is Ben Eberly, and today I'm accompanied, as always, by my co-host, Jordan Aslett. Top of the morning to you, Ben. How are you? I'm extremely hot. It is very, very warm here on the East Coast, and I think probably around the whole country I've been seeing tweets all about the heat and everything. We are in a serious heat wave, and it is destroying me. How about what's going on over in, uh, in the mountains? You, not too much. It's pretty hot here, too, but I have a, a commodity that you might not be all too familiar with called an air conditioner, and that's yeah, keeping me nice and cool. I don't have one of those. Uh, I guess I'm crazy for not having that, but... Usually I'm fine with the fan, but I tried to put the fan on for this show, but it was picking up on the mic, as you know. So I'm 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 sweating over here, but I'm I'm doing it, and uh, it's also a little bit too hot for me to even be playing video games. To be honest with you, I guess that's another benefit of having the central air, right? For sure, yeah. Especially if you're playing with like a, a PS4 Fat or an Xbox One Fat, where the fan just cranks out and it's just pushing out tons of heat. It's like a little space heater. Yeah, I think I'm going to go to the movie theater after this where it's air-conditioned and all I have to do is sit there. <laughs> there you go. A nice that... leather seats, get you a nice big drink. Yeah, I think I'll I think I'll do that. Uh, yeah, so I think I'm, everybody around the country is pretty much suffering this week. It was even hotter yesterday. Yesterday it was like 94. Today here it's like 89, but I'm still dying. Uh, so we've been away for a little longer than we wanted. Uh, last week, we, we really weren't able to do the podcast. We had some unforeseen circumstances. Plus, there wasn't too much going on after E3 anyway. So hopefully you enjoyed uh, Brandon's run-through of the stuff that he saw on the E3 show floor. And hopefully you enjoyed our coverage of uh, the press conferences. We had a two-part E3 celebration episode where we went through every press conference and kind of gave our impressions on what we saw. So if you haven't listened to that... Go back and listen to that. We had a lot of fun doing that. Um, but to make up for that, we've got a jam-packed episode full of uh, mostly news, but some pretty cool news, I'd say. Uh, obviously, it's not flooding out because we just got through E3, and I'm still kind of uh, coming down off off of all that. But uh, there's a lot of Fortnite stuff, so if you like uh, Fortnite, there's definitely a lot here for you. Um, but before we get into the new stuff, I want to talk about Summer Games Done Quick. Because this is kind of an exciting time of the year. And Jordan, you are really into this. Does it last for two weeks, is it? Just one week. It starts Sunday and and ends Saturday, I think, night, Saturday night. Yeah, so you and your wife usually watch this pretty often, right? Yeah, every time it's on, it's as soon as we come home from work or whatever we're doing, we put it on the TV and just kind of veg out for the entire week. We don't get a whole lot done otherwise. Yeah, I haven't really... Um... I, I always want to watch it. I never seem to get around to flipping the the Twitch channel on or anything like that. But in compare, so you how many years have you been watching this regularly? Oh man, I've got to be four, if not more, years that I've been watching. You know, they do two events every year that we tune in every single time, and where I can, I can't so much lately. But I'll take like a tablet or something to work and put it on in the background, or put it on while I'm writing or something like that. It's just a really easy show to have in the background. Or one that's really easy to come home and just flip on and watch and listen to some of the like intricacies of speed running. 
And uh, in comparison to previous years, I mean, how's this one shaping up? Is there a lot of cool stuff that you've seen? Like, what are some of your favorite things? Oh, yeah, a lot of really fantastic things. I mean, there's, of course, things like the Super Metroid run where there's always donation incentives to, you know, at the very end, you get a choice to kill the animals or save the animals at the very end of that run. Killing them, of course, saves time in the speed run, but saving them, I think, makes everyone feel good. (laughs) Um, I mean, there's always the iconic runs like that, but this year they had things like a Mario Maker relay race. Um, It was six courses, I believe, with two teams that were competing against each other, three people on both of those teams. So every time, you know, you would die going through the Mario Maker level, you'd have to trade it with someone on your team. And if you would get through that course before the other team did, you would get a point. Um, I mean, there were just a lot of little additions to, you know, the event this year that I didn't see in previous years that were kind of cool. You could see they're really trying to branch out into speed running, um, bring a whole lot of different types of runs into it to showcase the whole, you know, it's kind of a big sphere of speed running. I'm starting to realize, even though I've been watching this event for man years and years, there's a lot more in it than just trying to get from point A to point B as quick as possible. Yeah, because there's like objectives and stuff, and there's like different variables of what the runs are, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's ones where you go through and you've got free range to glitch through everything, like the Doom 2016 run that they did really early in you know the event this year. You know, they could glitch through the walls and they could do all this stuff to get through it as quick as possible. But there's other ones like the finale game, Final Fantasy VI. There were no glitches allowed, so you really had to go through using the intended game mechanics to beat that game and that was a i think a six hour run because they were collecting all the magicite and and doing all the side quests and everything that i gotta play that again I, it's been i've played that game maybe two or three times all the way through final fantasy 6 but it's it must have been it's it's over eight years now that i've i've played it it's so good it's in my top five games i think of all time yeah, I think it's probably in my top 10. I am definitely uh, prefer Chrono Trigger over it, and I like Earthbound over it as well, although it's a little bit different than Final Fantasy. But, um, yeah, I just, there's so much about that. Kefka, uh, what's that scene that you were tweeting about? That's oh, so the good. opera scene. I love the opera scene. I know a lot of people think that it's super overrated and gets a lot of hype, but I think that it's just, it's such an incredibly well-executed scene. Um, they had a donation incentive this year to have a live performer singing along with the opera, and they met that incentive. So it was kind of cool to see this girl, who I wish I knew her name. I don't think they announced it. Seeing you know this opera scene along with the game, that was really cool. They just incorporate little things like that to keep it fresh every single year. And they did that on the stream? Yes. Oh, wow. That's really something. So... Um... I want to know, like, is it a lot of the same people that you see? Like, are there, there, so this is like a whole different gaming community that I'm really not familiar with. It exists, like, somewhere outside of kind of what we do, and there's a whole different sort of set of fans and, and whatnot and different players. Do you see a lot of repeated faces, and, and are there people who do multiple games at the same show, or how's it all work? For sure. Yeah, you'll see a lot of reoccurring people. I mean, Grand Pooh Bear, a really notorious runner for multiple categories, a lot of Mario games. Um, He was on there several times. He was actually in that relay race, as mentioning earlier. Um, He did another one that I can't remember. There's been so many races, man. Um, But I think at Awesome Games Done Quick, you know, the most recent one before this one, he did Super Dram World. So you see him a lot. Um, Mexican runner who ran Cuphead this year. Um, he did Cuphead 100%, 
it was incredible. Um, you'll see him a lot. I mean, there are a lot of faces that you see pretty regularly. And even though you won't see like, you know, the Pete Hines or the Phil Spencers of the gaming world, you'll still get like, uh, you know, Heart Machine or Studio MDHR kind of tweeting into this event, or they'll even donate pretty big sums of money and make announcements during this event. Uh, like during the Undertale run, Toby Fox donated $6,000 to meet one of the do donation incentives. So these big names still interact with this community in a really, really cool way. Yeah, and even those names are even ringing a bell for me, Super Dram World and Mexican Runner and things like that. Those are those are names that I actually, and Grand Pooh Bear. Is it Grand Pooh Bear? Yes. Yeah, those are those are names that like sound familiar to me at least, especially Mexican Runner. I remember that one. Um, but yeah, it's an incredible event. I mean, it really is sort of like gaming's best version of quote-unquote athleticism, right? I mean, there's just so much like um, physical uh, dexterity that, that kind of goes into it, if you can say that, although you're really only using your thumbs. There's so much memorization, so much muscle memory, um, not to mention long hours of training, I'm sure, getting everything down to precision. It's really it's really an incredible thing and, and quite a quite a task to devote your life to because it really I can't imagine this isn't like a life um, devotion, right? With all the studying that they have to do. Oh, definitely. Yeah, memorizing the routes for just a single game in and of itself. I can't imagine how much time that would take. I mean, to be someone like Grand Pooh Bear, or Mexican runner who runs multiple games, man, I, I don't know how you'd have a full-time job and do that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly insane. So when so how much longer is it going on for? Or does it just is it, did it just end? Yep, it just end on Saturday night. Awesome. Uh, all right, well, let's move on to the news because we have quite a quite a bit of it, and uh, I think some interesting discussions ahead. So um, let's talk about um, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, so as we know, this game was nowhere to be found at E3. And you would think, especially since Square Enix had their own press conference, right, that they would have huge spotlights for their biggest games, which I think I think the Final Fantasy VII Remake is one of their most hyped games, uh, apart from Kingdom Hearts 3, right? I mean, what else? what else is really on that level, Jordan? nothing that they showed this year that's i mean that's for yeah, sure i figured I mean, final fantasy 7 was the reason that they were going to have a press event because kingdom hearts would have shown just as well at like just sony's event or just microsoft's event well you know it I did mean? it was there also yeah. remember we yeah. saw the trailer well we saw one of the trailers twice and then a different one um the last time but um but yeah i don't know i i obviously the square enix conference was a big bummer for a lot of people including me just based on the fact that it really didn't need to happen because they really didn't have anything. And and I, like you, I assumed that because they had their own press conference that they were going to have a big spotlight for Final Fantasy VII because that they didn't show that last year, did they? I, I think it was two years ago that they did the reveal. Yeah, I don't think it was last year. And then nobody saw it this year or last year, so everyone assumed that they would have some kind of big explanation of how it was going to be because there's been all this like news about it like oh it's gonna be episodic which which bummed a lot of people out but oh but don't worry because it's episodic but each each episode i think there are three is gonna be like 40 hours uh but even still people are kind of rubbed the wrong way even if the episodes are long they still don't want the game to be episodic um 
yeah, there was all sorts of rumors like that and that the combat system would be a little bit more real-time, a little bit less turn-based, which really bums me out and makes me not want to play it. Um, that's just me personally. I guess, I, I guess I'm not modern enough. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Tatsuya Nomura, uh, who's the head of uh, Final Fantasy VII, he's now publicly admitted that the game was announced too early. Uh, and this is uh, via Kingdom Hearts Insider, and it's a quote from um, Nomura, and it says, quote, I am well aware of the fact that we announced it too early, but even in the industry, word was beginning to spread that we were working on the game, so we just decided not to keep it more secret and officially reveal it. So this kind of brings up an interesting uh, argument here. You're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't with this it's because it seems like game devs they just can't seem to win so they're damned if they do damned if they don't if they reveal it too early it becomes anticlimactic when it when it takes too long like no man's sky or like this or like kingdom hearts 3 although hype level for kingdom hearts 3 i'd say is pretty high and then if they wait uh if they wait too long then it leaks you know or rumors start circulating that are accurate which is you know a leak basically so I, I'm kind of of two minds on it because I loved the way that Bethesda revealed Fallout 4 in 2015, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it came out in 2015. And they were like, all right, here's a new Fallout game. It's the fourth one. It's a big one. And it's coming out in six months. And everyone was really hyped because it's like, oh, cool. The game's like basically done. And we can now, we don't have to wait over a year. We can only have to wait six months. And that was such a brilliant model. But I wonder if it's just not feasible for game devs to do that. And plus, Bethesda, somehow they managed to keep it under wraps. I mean, everybody knew that there was going to be a Fallout 4, but they didn't know when. Uh, and of course, that, that raises an interesting point about Bethesda that we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later. But I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I do agree that Final Fantasy VII Remake was uh, hyped too early. It was revealed too early. But... If it had leaked, I don't know, it would have been anticlimactic. But what do you think, Jordan? Is there is there any right answer to this? It's tough on both sides. I mean, if if you announce a game too early, then you kind of have to provide, you know, specifics about the game like they have with the episodic information. Um, I mean, that one, for example, I think people are reluctant to play the game in an episodic fashion because we just don't know what that structure is going to look like, right? Um, if they, if we were way further along in the process and they'd announced the game closer to completion, we knew what the game looked like, we knew what the combat felt like, and they said, hey, we're, we're planning on releasing this over three separate discs, you know, three separate releases, um, it's going to look like this, chapter one's going to take you from, you know, start to maybe the observatory, you know what I mean? Then that would be something that's more like, okay, that's cool, in that world we're going to explore more side quests, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we'd be okay with that. But they're letting our minds kind of wander, and I think gamers were kind of skeptical having heard, you know, this isn't really a reimagining of what we loved about the Final Fantasy, you know, the turn-based combat, that sort of thing. We're just kind of immediately going to the negative. So I think an ambitious project like this being announced as early as this was, because I don't see this coming out, you know, pre-2020. This is definitely, you know, in the the Death Stranding category of release dates. Um it's tough, man. There's There really is no good answer to this. I would almost rather they, they kept it under wraps and gave information if it was leaked rather than try and get ahead of the leaks and give us information that's only going to make us assume that the project isn't going to be great on launch. 
I just think that if it's if it was revealed that early, which was what twenty fifteen, they revealed it right, mm-hmm. or twenty maybe twenty sixteen or E three. Yeah, I feel like sh- it was fifteen. Yeah, I think it was fifteen. Also, it was just that you know basically a teaser of what Cloud walking around. You saw a sword, and and that was basically it, right? Mm-hmm. It was like a CG thing. Um, I don't think we've we've seen anything else from it at all, right? Yeah, nothing official. I mean, there's been all sorts of things like fan made recreation of that opening scene with with Eris or or Aerith, depending on what of what mind you are of that, right? That argument, um, that whole beginning sort of panoramic view of Midgar like there's been recreations and fan you know fan activity in the front that stirred the conversation for a remake there but that's been the only thing that I think Square has done to officially reveal that they're working on this project so if they had not done that I don't think it would have ever really been leaked unless someone from the inside leaked it early yeah but here's where here's where I think there's a caveat it's like if they showed this game in 2015 they really hadn't done much on it at all right they maybe had some assets but i think it's fair to say that they didn't really have anything really there and then it was like you know close to a year later that they were like by the way this game or maybe it was six months or something they were like this game's going to be episodic and that seems like a decision that they made like around that time you know and that's kind of what set off this chain reaction of bumming people out oh it's going to be episodic and it's going to be not turn-based, so it's going to be... I would imagine it's going to be like Final Fantasy XV's combat, which I really hate. Um, and look at me, I'm hating too. I'm being a hater also. Yeah, uh, or even like Crisis Core, something in that same sort of Final Fantasy VII world, but more real-time. Yeah, and I, I really don't like that. I All my JRPGs are getting, uh, you know, washed away. Whitewashed, is that fair to say? Well, maybe not. They're getting westernized. They're getting westernized, and I don't like that, you know? Um, but I, I I don't know. I, I feel like if they announced it in 2015 and they didn't have anything, they definitely should have waited because I don't think anything would have leaked, right? Usually stuff leaks, like look at Assassin's Creed, right? Assassin's Creed leaks every year, but it always leaks like three months before, right? Like Ubisoft games always leak, but they always seem to leak like within the year that the game is released. So I'm not sure... Like, when you're in that early stages of the game, how how much of your team is really working on it, right? Is it just, is it mostly just people doing art and doing visual art for assets and things like that and programmers and level designers and things? And then other people come later, like voice actors come later, right? Like mm-hmm. animator, animators come later, right? Probably. Yeah. It's hard and to it's, say. Yeah, it's true. I mean, where you're that early in a project, if you're going to leak something, it's going to be, you know, so far off of the finished product. It's going to be like a wireframe of an animation, like something so unpolished, something a college student that's studying game design could do that people are going to question, like, is this even really Final Fantasy VII? Is this proof of the remake? Whereas like Assassin's Creed, when you get that leak three months before, you're like, hey, this is very clearly Assassin's Creed. You can see the assets that are being brought from Assassin's Creed Origins into Odyssey you can make those connections really clearly. But, you know, a game back in 2015, here we are three years later without any sizable information otherwise, other than that it was released too early, kind of telling us that they're not far in this project. I mean, at the time it was announced, they clearly didn't have a whole lot there. Anything that would have been leaked would not have been enough to prove that this project was being developed. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people questioned why Bethesda went the way that they did with... um 
you know, revealing Star... It was a Starfield, right? That's the that's the game? Yep. Uh, I always get confused with the... What's the toy game? Starbound? No. Star... Star. Something, <laughs> yeah. With, with Star Fox in it. I can't remember. Um, Starlink. Yeah, so, Starlink. 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 Yeah. So they they chose to reveal Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six, and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, Starfield's coming first. Um, but after that, we're going to do Elder Scrolls Six, And everybody knows that Bethesda basically only has one big team, right? So it's like, all right, so Elder Scrolls Six is coming out, what, in like six years, right? It's going to be a while. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, and, and a lot of people were scratching their head, like, you don't even have a title for this game. Like, is it Somerset? Is it Skyrim 2? Like, nobody knows. Uh, I think we also might have uncovered that, so check out Gamer Pros, by the way. Yeah, we've uh, got a great article on, on our theory about where that's at. Shout out to, to Sean Chase for writing yeah. a great article there. Yeah, yeah, definitely check out um, his article if you like speculation and, and things like that. And, um, yeah, it's kind of like a roadmap almost for Bethesda because everyone knows Bethesda's going to be working on Elder Scrolls 6, but did they do that just to kind of get, just so that people wouldn't be digging at them to get rumors and stuff and leaks? I don't know. It's interesting, but it's definitely like a different uh, approach than Tetsuya Nomura being all bummed out about announcing it too early. Maybe Todd Howard will too. Who knows? I don't know. I feel like now that they've talked about Fallout 76 and, you know, that's what they're focused on. I mean, no one, no one's really going to ask them about Elder Scrolls Six because clearly their attention's on Fallout seventy six. You know. Yeah, and now Bethesda have something for everyone, right? There are people who like Fallout, and there are people who like Elder Scrolls better. And now they have those two games, and then people who are sick of those games and they want something new, they have that too. So, I think Bethesda's actually really killing it right now. But anyway, let's uh, we're running a little long on this segment. Let's um, let's move on to what I guess I'm going to call the Fortnite block. Uh, if only for the fact that there's so much Fortnite news all the time. Uh, so this week we've got a little Fortnite block. We've got three to four little news articles about it. It's kind of replaced our Destiny block, huh? Yeah. Well, I don't play it, and neither I don't play Destiny, and neither do you. But Sonya does, and sometimes she's on the show, so <laughs> um, she can always fill us in on that. If if we have some if we have some Destiny stuff to talk about, we can always uh, grab Sonya and have her. Have her talk about it. Not that I don't want to talk about it. I just, I just can't seem to put aside the time for it. So anyway, Fortnite is getting a big patch, uh, and it will be the final big patch of season four. And I'm only talking about this boring patch stuff because there's actually some cool stuff in it, namely uh, playground mode, which uh, allows players to run freely around the map without having to worry about combat. So this is kind of cool. If you want to just kind of explore the map and get used to uh, where stuff is, where to land, where to loot, things like that, you can kind of run around the map freely and not have to worry about being killed. Uh, And that'll certainly, if you're a new player, sort of get you familiar with the landscape so you feel a little bit more comfortable, a little more confident uh, on the island. And uh, I think that that's really kind of cool. And you can get familiar with the building mechanics. You can figure out where you're going to hide, where all the good bush hiding spots are. Um, Jordan, you might want to check this out. I, I feel like maybe if you get yourself familiar with the map, then maybe you would want to do it more because that really is a big part of the game. Did I convince you to play Fortnite yet? It's on Switch. 
<laughs> you know, um, our next topic has been what's like that's had my eye on Fortnite for a little while, kind of following that and then following the previous event. So we'll get into that just a little bit more on the next topic. Oh, yeah, we'll be there in just a couple minutes, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Uh, Fortnite's also getting this final fight mode that has teams of 12, uh, and it's also getting dual pistols, which really excites me because in any video game, if there's dual pistols, that's the weapon I'm going to use until it runs out of ammo, and then I'm forced to switch to like an assault rifle or something because I love dual pistols. Uh, and uh, and supposedly they're actually pretty good too. They're not just a pea shooter like the pistol is. Uh, you know when you're desperate in the early hours of of landing, uh, it's actually a viable option at close range. So that's pretty exciting for me. Uh, other little little tiny stuff. Loot that falls into the water is now going to float instead of just being underneath it. Just just a little bit of housekeeping. And teammate markers will now appear in the game itself rather than just on the compass. So that's always helpful, too, if you play with a squad. Uh, I do not. I play solo. Uh, all right, let's 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 talk about that event that you want to talk about so bad and that I really don't know anything about, but I was reading about and watching some videos. I think this looks awesome. Fortnite had this rocket event, event the rocket launch, that's, that I combine those two words. This rocket launch event uh, is one of Fortnite's few real-time events. I think it's maybe the second is that what you said? Yeah, there was another one beforehand. Now, now that I'm on the spot, I can't think of what it was, probably because I don't play them as much. But they're starting to get more and more into this this pattern of doing stuff to encourage players to come back and, and kind of catch the eye of players like me who haven't even touched the game. Yeah, and this actually caught my attention as well. And I do jump in every one. I, I definitely jump in like probably a couple times a week and play for like an hour. Um, so this happened on Saturday, which I believe is June 30th. Um, this like giant rocket, like space rocket was placed on the map and it was like getting ready to launch. And, uh, it had like all these different players gathered around it and they were behaving and they weren't killing each other. And I don't think there was really much PVP at all across all the servers in the world. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of cool. It's kind of a, like this rare thing where you have this PvP, very competitive game, but everyone is kind of more focused on on the special event itself rather than racking up kills. And this certainly would have been a good opportunity to throw a grenade or something, but it seems like most people um, held back. So this There was crack- a guy that used a rocket launcher to blow up a group of 40-something people and now has the world record for the most rocket launcher kills with a single blast. Oh, well, that's cheating, don't you think? Yeah. A little bit, but there are those. (laughs) Yeah, but there was like a big community aspect to it. I mean, some players were even building kind of platforms or benches uh, so that people in the back could see. That's very neighborly of them. Um, But anyway, do you have you been following this much? A little bit, actually, a lot of bit. Okay, well, maybe you should tell me what happened. All right, so there was a rocket that launched. People were watching it. How did they know when it was gonna launch? Yeah, so my understanding was televisions, you know, in a couple of locations in the game had been flashing with, I think, the skull icon, um, and the players had been setting their in-game clock forward a little bit, and the TVs had switched from that skull icon to a timer, and that timer had indicated, you know, the date the the rocket would launch, so when they set their in-game timer to that day, on the screen, it just said launch, 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 
And so everyone had kind of known the date that this event was going to happen, but setting it to that time didn't trigger it because it was going to be a one-time, you know, real-world event. Um, so everyone kind of knew when it was going to happen, not necessarily what it was, just that it was some kind of rocket event. I mean, there was speculation that it was going to destroy another section of the map like the meteor did, like that big crater had done. Um, but yeah. Oh, oh, wait a second. Is that the other event? Yes. Yeah, now that and, I think and about now, that comet. And now that crater is there permanently? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so cool. All right, continue. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah, so they they had pinned down the day that it was going to happen and the time that it was going to happen. And I think as we got close, Epic had probably communicated that to players, that there was something that was going to happen around that time because it became pretty, you know, pretty common knowledge what was going to happen. Um, not necessarily that the rocket was going to split and, and rupture space and time like it did, but something was going to launch and something was going to happen that would, you know, affect the game world. Um, but that, yeah, that's kind of what happened. Yeah, so, so actually the sequence of events is actually not very well documented, right? There's still, there's still the timeline of events as to the rocket event ending and the rocket launching, that timeline is still kind of a little bit unclear, I think maybe it was different. I don't know. Maybe it was different in every server a little bit. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, but basically what you said is true. The rocket launched. It sort of broke apart in the air. It came back down, uh, fired a laser at the ground, and then it was sort of creating these rifts in the sky and going through maybe space and time, right? Yeah, that's that's the theory that I've seen. I I couldn't tell you what's going on for sure. Again, being the the guy that hasn't played it here, but that's that's what it sounds like happened. So you were messaging me something earlier about the rifts, right? Yeah. Awesome. Are they still there? Yeah, the rifts are still there, and I'm trying to think. It was either Eurogamer or US Gamer who's been recording these rifts as they get on and they play. Have noticed that they're getting bigger and they're expanding further across the map. So kind of kind of the same vein of that comet that was getting closer and closer to the map. These are getting bigger and bigger, indicating that something is probably about to happen. I mean, this is this is really cool, right? I mean, Fortnite is now the biggest game in the world. I, I haven't been into an elementary school or a high school recently or a middle school, but apparently there it's just like it's everywhere, right? Um, oh yeah teachers yeah, are going teachers are going crazy and principals are going crazy because they can't keep kids off the damn game like everywhere and kids are even making like little primitive versions of it on the computer that function <laughs> i mean it is like hands down the biggest game in the world i feel like it's got to be bigger than minecraft now right it's certainly more talked about than minecraft is at this point yeah although i did go into the public library the other day to pick up a dvd and there were like three kids just like little kids just at three different computer screens just all building in minecraft together nice. <laughs> i thought that was pretty cool that is awesome um yeah so this is like having these real-time events is like expanding the game it like it's like expanding what the game is like it's not just a battle royale game anymore it has this community that it's like willing to embrace and feed this community and keep people on their toes and and this means that in the future of Fortnite can change, right? Like this isn't uh, games uh, like Halo 2 where the game is always the same. You're always trying to kill the other player, capture the flag or whatever. This, this, is, this has a communal aspect to it. This has real life-esque 
type stuff. It's really cool. And these events, they, they bring people together around the world. Uh, people are going to keep coming back. Even if you don't love the game, if you don't love um, killing uh, and being the last person standing and things like that and looking for weapons and whatnot, you might still jump into this game to check out the events, right? The non-combat stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think Epic has done a really, really good job of building you know, a community in the way that like PUBG or you know, Radical Heights just could not capture. Yeah, I mean they had the Thanos thing too. That's a little bit similar, I guess. But this is like this is like the game is alive, don't you think? Yeah. It's like, oh, absolutely and constantly like, evolving. Yeah, like 10 years from now, like uh, this is a bit of a stretch, but we might be thinking like, "Oh, remember the rocket launch back in Fortnite in 2018?" <laughs> you know, things like that. It could be. You don't know. I mean, we we spend so much time in the virtual world that I don't know. This is like a very interesting thing for the biggest game in the world that everybody has access to. Because if you don't have a video game console or a computer, everybody has a phone, you know, or an iPad. So it's interesting. Um, and and seriously, like, what a better way to kind of launch, you know, pun intended, launch these kind of real time events than with a rocket launch, which is a historical event that impacted, you know, the world in the sixties. It, it's so. It's uh, I just think it's so awesome. Do you have anything to add? No, yeah, you you really nailed it. We're going to be thinking about this in the future in the same way that we thought about the moon landing for sure. This I think this ushers in big things to come for Fortnite. Yeah, and I mean, in these events can build upon each other. I mean, the meteor and the rocket those are somewhat related, right? Those are space things. So who knows? We could get transported to another dimension or another planet. Who knows? All right, <laughs> I gotta I gotta move on because I'm going. Getting too excited. Um, here's another. F- oh, well, actually, here's two more Fortnite things. I forgot. Uh, PUBG has seized PUBG Corp have seized their Fortnite lawsuit. So we've talked about this before. Uh, PUBG Corp was suing Epic Games for uh, copyright infringement, which is their claim was that Fortnite blatantly copied. Uh, just about every element of PUBG, except maybe the graphic style, right? In uh, the building. Um, it's unclear of why they dropped the charges. I think most people were kind of rolling their eyes at, at the fact that they sued them, kind of thinking like, oh, PUBG Corp, they're just they're just uh, envious now that Fortnite is clearly the bigger game now. <laughs> and PUBG kind of launched the phenomenon. Though it was not the first Battle Royale game, it kind of launched the mainstream phenomenon for sure. So uh, the suit uh, the suit was filed against Epic in May, uh, which PUBG Court uh, called a measure to protect our copyrights, and they were concerned that Fortnite was replicating their game. Uh, but the the weird thing is that both games use the Unreal Engine, and both are partially owned by Tencent Games in China. So it's kind of like a weird thing, like <laughs> that's happening because these things are all pretty related. I don't know, but what do you think? Is it a silly idea to have a lawsuit, Jordan, against this? Yeah, I mean, it's not like Epic Games had stolen code from PUBG or had really stolen anything other than, like, essentially what makes a genre, right? It's not like Call of Duty stole the first-person shooter from Medal of Honor, right? Um, But in that vein, that would be the argument that Call of Duty could have had on Medal of Honor in the same way that PUBG's trying to have that argument with Epic Games. Um, but I mean, the, this argument has gone on long enough 
that now it's very clear that Fortnite is going down a different path of Battle Royale, you know, being a really community-driven game, more kind of cartoony and aesthetic and play style than PUBG, which is more realistic, more nitty-gritty, doesn't seem to have that community as much. They're very clearly separating down and not so much running parallel with each other. So maybe maybe that's why this has been settled out of court. Um, either PUBG or Epic or the lawyers in between have noticed or made notations that they're no longer similar enough that copyrights are being infringed upon. It's just now two games competing in the same genre that PUBG is trying to claim ownership over that it doesn't necessarily have ownership of. What I want to know is why isn't um, Arma suing player unknown right because didn't he work on that game isn't PUBG basically an arma mod i think it's an h1z1 mod. well okay and that's an arma spinoff ish something all right well okay so brandon uh little what's his name player unknown oh i'm not sure how to pronounce the last one player unknown uh himself worked on h1z1 king of the kill right Mm mm-hmm and then he spun off his own thing into PUBG, which is basically the same thing with a few refinements. And now, and then it got huge. And then Fortnite saw it, and they had their Save the World mode. And then they made their Battle Royale mode. So why isn't H1Z1 suing PUBG, you know? Don't they have more right, considering the guy worked on a freaking game? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would think so. But at the same time, they probably wisely understand that it's not one of those situations where any press is good press. Um, I mean, it's it's a genre that's been created now, and you don't really have ownership of a genre. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I guess so. But anyway, let's 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 finish up our Fortnite thing here because we're t- we're gonna talk about Sony on their Fortnite problem. And if you know, if you've been following Twitter and gaming news and things like that, you know that Sony isn't playing nice with the other platforms. They don't want to. Um, open up crossplay with switch or with pc or xbox one uh we know that but uh and fallout 76 also um that's a whole that's a whole nother they they like just announced that fallout 76 wouldn't do it right they were yeah like, because oh, I, think- I think todd howard said like point blank it's because sony, sony's being a pain in the butt about it yeah, actually, while we're on that, um, Todd Howard, the CEO of Bethesda, he's he actually blatantly threw some shade at Sony. Um, he did a, an interview with uh, GameStar, which is a German site, uh, and this comes this news comes via CNET, uh, and he basically said an official statement. He goes, "quote You cannot do crossplay in Fallout 76. We'd really love that, but right now we can't. Sony's just not as helpful as everyone would like." <laughs> so boom, right? And Bethesda had nothing more to add on that statement. <laughs> so, wisely, yeah, wisely. Yeah, I mean, that. I think that really speaks for itself. Um, but anyway, back to the Fortnite thing. I mean, the, the so basically the Fortnite problem that I'm talking about is that if you play Fortnite on PC or Xbox One or Switch, it, everything is linked to your Epic account, so all your loot and all your bucks, your V-Bucks, and all your points, I guess, uh, and your skins, skins is what I was looking for. All your skins and stuff, they're all linked to your Epic account. So if I um, buy a new glider on Switch, I I have access to it on PC, and I have access to it on mobile, and I have access to it on Xbox, which is really cool, except Sony. 
you cannot carry over your Sony bought items to those other platforms. And if you bought anything on those other platforms, you can't use them on Sony. So essentially you have Fortnite, Sony Fortnite players, and then you have the rest of the Fortnite players on all the other consoles, including mobile. So it's kind of a bummer, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And last week, I don't know if we covered, I think we covered this with Brandon. Yeah. They gave this like pretty lame statement. Uh, uh, I don't think we've read the statement, but I want to read it. Uh, and it's, and this is uh, because they got a lot of heat after E3 and learning, and a lot of people learned that you couldn't have your Sony account linked. Um, a lot of people pressed Sony for a statement, and here's what they gave. Quote, we're always open to hearing what the PlayStation community is interested in to enhance their gaming experience. With more than 8 million monthly active users on the PlayStation Network, we've built a huge community of gamers who can play together on Fortnite and all online titles. So it's kind of a slap in the face. It's a pretty lame statement, I'd say, because they're basically boasting about their 80 million player count, right? Yeah, and not really addressing the issue that was brought up you know, in that, that same article. Yeah, they're like, oh, well, most people play Fortnite on Sony anyway, right? That's basically what they're saying. And we got 80 million people on Fortnite over here. That's basically what they're saying. I mean, this could cause Sony to lose some quote-unquote supporters, but I don't think it's really going to affect anything. I think it's really just bad press. What do you think? Is it going to really affect their numbers? No, I mean, it's it's definitely going to rub people the wrong way. It's that the sort of thing where people start to wonder about the goodwill of Sony. Are they in it for the players? Are they in it for the money? I mean, they're they're definitely the top dog, and Sony knows that, and they know that they don't need to compromise on situations like that because it's not going to lose them market share for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, Sean Layden, he just in- issued a new statement um, because there's been so much pressure for Sony to answer this and, and hopefully fix it. Uh, so Sean Layden said, quote, we're hearing it. We're looking at a lot of the possibilities. You can imagine the circumstances around that affect a lot more than just one game. I'm confident we'll get to a solution which will be understood and accepted by our gaming community while at the same time supporting our business. So I don't know. To me, it seems like maybe they're going to get there at some point, but I don't think we're going to see it this year. What do you think? Yeah, definitely not this year. Maybe not even this console generation. I I couldn't tell you for sure. It's hard to predict Sony with stuff like this. I know. It's it's tough when you're on top, I know. Hey everyone, Jordan here. Just wanted to take a second to talk about our friends at Castbox. What Castbox is is a podcast app which you can download in the Google Play Store and Apple App Store that lets you listen to your favorite podcasts, including, of course, the Gamer Professionals show, and discover new content from a range of really great podcasters. You can download episodes to your phone storage so you don't have to stream them using your internet or wasting your precious data connection. Castbox showcases an impressive library of over 50 million different podcast episodes and has over 6 million downloads worldwide. And all of this is backed up by a clean and easy to use interface. If you are an aspiring podcaster, Castbox has simple upload from various podcast hosts, or you can even record your podcast in the app and publish it right from there. For anyone who is an avid listener of podcasts, Castbox is the perfect app for you. Be sure to jump onto CastBox and subscribe to the Gamer Professionals show. It helps us grow tremendously and is greatly appreciated. Now, on to the show. Anyway, that's it for our Fortnite block. Let's uh, let's move on to some 
some uh, some more fun news. Uh, I just want to touch on Overwatch because we used to cover Overwatch pretty often, but I, I kind of stopped doing it because it was so consistent and we weren't playing. But they introduced this new hero that I just can't ignore. They've always consistently had new content and new characters, um, and it really keeps the fans happy and still a very vibrant community there. They've introduced this new character uh, who is a, a hamster named a really smart hamster who's named Hammond. Uh, and he has this mech called the Wrecking Ball that he operates. So this is the second mech char- or the third mech character now. So there's been a lot of clues on the in-game posters and such, but now it's confirmed that um, Hammond is indeed the playable character. And I just want to say that the official hero name is Wrecking Ball, so it's not Hammond. Hammond's just the pilot, uh, but the, when you select it on the screen, it, it will be come up as Wrecking Ball. So it's interesting. Uh, and just to get into the lore a little bit, Hammond was uh, also on the Horizon Lunar Colony uh, with Winston, which was like the scientific experiment meant to uplift gorillas into scientists and intellectuals and i guess they were probably working on that with hamsters as well i'm a little uh out of the loop with my overwatch lore but the lore is so awesome i want to get back into it i wish they would release those online comics as like a trade paperback um i'm surprised they haven't by now to be honest uh, maybe they did and i missed it but man there's so much cool lore and it stinks that most of that stuff is tied to having to read it online but anyway, I think this is really cool. So he's like a, uh, basically like a killer ball thing is is especially kind of rolls around and, and hits people. I assume it's a tank character. I gotta get back to Overwatch, man. You ever have the itch? Not, not really. To be honest, I don't. <laughs> I don't love the hero shooter thing. Oh, but this one's so good. No, I mean, if I want to plug in and play a shooter, that's where I'll jump in on Destiny 2 or go and pick up, like, maybe a Call of Duty or something like that. But, like, the competitive hero shooter thing is something I appreciate in the industry because I love what it does for players in the competitive scene. But I'm just not that player, and I accept that about myself. (laughs) So I just never really have the itch. All right, what about a Halo TV series? Would you watch that? I, you know what, I just might. Do you play a lot of Halo? Not the the recent 343s, but the Bungie Halos. I mean, I played Halo 3 on Legendary, man, a a dozen times probably. I've definitely beaten every game on Legendary except for 5, and I Halo 2 Online. I mean, those were formative years for me. The golden age. That was unlike anything (laughs) that I'd ever done. But anyway, Showtime have ordered a live-action Halo TV series. We've heard this many times before, but this time it seems like it's actually going to happen. Um, so this will be a 10 episode season with 60 minute episodes. So hour long episodes productions are going to be begin early next year. And, uh, the Showtime president and CEO, David Nevins, I was trying to decide in my head if it was Nevins or Nevins. I think it's Nevins. He says it will quote, take place in the universe that came that first came to be in 2001 dramatizing an epic 26th century conflict between humanity and an alien threat known as the covenant and then he also said halo is our most ambitious series ever and we expect audience who have been anticipating it for years to be thoroughly rewarded this vision of halo will enthrall fans of the game while also drawing the uninitiated into a world of complex characters that populate this unique universe I'm excited for it. I hope it's good, right? Most Showtime shows are good, right? Yeah, they do a pretty good job. I mean, they did Dexter and a lot of other really notable, you know, 
kind of TV defining shows for a long time. So I think if anyone was going to tackle it, Showtime is probably one of the better ones. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but what I want to see from this game is not Master Chief's story. I want to see some very human characters existing in this world with some Spartans either being referenced or popping up every once in a while. Um, I, I want this to be more like Battlestar Galactica's 2005 reboot, um, more than like a video game adaptation, if that makes any sense, because I think the world is really, really interesting. And I, I like the Halo story in the game. As far as video game stories go, um, it's pretty good. But what makes it special is the gameplay, right? And the connection to the characters and the world, right? And the weapons and the way they feel and the enemies and the way they animate and things like that. But, you know, I think you have to really go about it in a whole different way for a narrative TV show. And I think that's where a lot of video game movies fail, right? Like, that's where Assassin's Creed failed, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, easily. All right. Uh, let's, well, this one's kind of, it's not, it's not too unexpected, but Amy Hennig, uh, she is no longer at EA. Um, if you didn't know who Amy, Amy Hennig was, she was a, she's a game developer and director, I think. Uh, she's most known for her work on the Uncharted series, so she did Uncharted 1 through 3. Uh, and she announced the Eurogame that she no longer works for EA, and I guess apparently she left back in January which is a few months after EA canceled uh, the Visceral Star Wars project that she was leading. So she started, that, she started that Star Wars thing back in 2014. It got canceled, and Visceral got shut down in October 2017. And it's the Star Wars game is now officially on the shelf. EA said they want to make it into some kind of online persistent thing, moneymaker, I guess. Uh, but I guess the most important thing to note from this news is that Amy Hennig is now working independently and has formed a small studio. So who knows what that could be? It's probably going to be a long time away, though. Yeah, but if you've got a, a person of the caliber that Amy Hennig is surrounding herself with other people, you know, I think you could potentially have something pretty significant here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in, I really wanted to see that Star Wars project, but I'm interested to see kind of where she's going. Alright, and the last news piece, it's a fun one, Sonic the Hedgehog, there's a movie coming out and it's a live action slash CGI film, so think about Space Jam and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and that crappy Sonic game, is it 2006, the really bad yep. one, Yep. where he kisses the real life woman? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Super Mario Odyssey before Super Mario Odyssey, right? Oh man. <laughs> uh Sonic 2006 just for reference is another game that people love to run during like SGDQ and games done quick because it's so broken and there's so many glitches and it's just super fun to watch people break it more fun than actually playing the game and it's like a terrible game right oh it's awful it's like the rings that you have like the iconic like Sonic loops you run up to the very top of them and stop in the middle and there's no physics that cause you to fall down you just stop up there it's just riddled with bugs like that all through the game well, maybe this movie will be good. Um, I don't know. I would say probably not, but who knows? Uh, it's made by Paramount, and it's uh, got Jim Carrey as Eggman, or Dr. Robotnik, right? Mm -hmm. Both. That's Japanese and English, right? Yeah, yep. Um, so, what do you think, Jordan? Are you going to watch this movie? I am. It's probably not going to be good, but I'm definitely going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably give it a shot as it gets... I mean, closer to release, we'll see more trailers. And if the trailers look interesting, then great. But if the trailers just look 
like garbage, then probably not. I mean, I'm in the camp where I just don't think that you can capture what makes, you know, a video game incredible in a movie format. Um, but I mean, in the movie, you could show Sonic going fast and kind of capture that as well while having the same sort of shenanigans that you do, you know, where you're battling Robotnik, you've got Tails, you've got Knuckles. Maybe there's something that these guys can do with that. Um, but man, I'm, I'm not really sure that I'm excited for this, to be honest with you. All right, so what do we got now? We got a Sonic movie being made. We got a Mario movie being made. Anything else? Is there anything else I'm missing? I feel like there's something. Now, those are the ones that stick out in my head, at least. Yeah, the Mario one, I think we've known for a little while. They're, it's being made by Illumination, the same ones that made like minions. Despicable Me. Yeah. yeah, it's the Minions people. Yeah, I think we that's the that only other one. You. We talked about that last year. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, probably what's going to happen, you you heard this here first, they're going to be making the Mario movie first, and then the Sonic movie, and then the next movie is going to be Mario and Sonic at the Summer Olympics. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, we, we talked about how they were going to have the video game cinematic universe, right, of all the mascots. It's going to happen. Get Crash Bandicoot in there, get Blinks the Cat in there, <laughs> get uh, uh, Jack and Daxter in there, everybody. Please. Please don't make that happen. <laughs> Whoever's listening to this podcast, if if you're stealing that idea, please just don't. I hate that idea. <laughs> All right, Jordan. We spent a lot of time on news, but you got a few minutes here to talk about Vampire. I know you want to talk about it. Um, so you finished the game, right? I did, yeah. It took me probably, I'm thinking about 30 hours to complete, if not maybe just a little bit more, because I tried to go back after I beat it and backtrack just a little bit to explore London a little bit more and the people a little bit more. But I'd say plan on about 30 hours if you wanted to try this game. So just to clarify, we're talking about Vampire, the new game from Don't Nod, who created Life is Strange, but uh, Vampire is this narrative vampire game. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Last time we checked in, you were liking it. It was a little janky, but you were, you were, you were sticking with it. Um, you're doing your review. Um, mm-hmm. how's, the, how's the story? Because that's really the selling point here, I think. Yeah, no, the story by far is my favorite part about the game. Um, I mean, it's like I kind of talked to you about, I think last week, it's a long story and it takes a long-term commitment to get through. But if you like, you know, the the source that it's pulling from, the supernatural, the vampire, you know, things like that, the kind of darker media, like Portrait of Dorian Gray sort of stuff, you're going to really like the story in this because it explores a lot of stuff like that and it tackles, you know, the theme of living, you know, with humans while also being this guy who could just eradicate humans, you know what I mean? And it it, kind of makes you play on the morality of being, you know, good to these people or just not. You just destroy them and become powerful for all you want so the story is really interesting like that um but the overall arching narrative of what's causing this spanish flu um you know kind of the supernatural twist to that is really rewarding i feel like as you get later in the game and discover what's causing it kind of the big twist of you know what started that whole thing was really really interesting to dig into and can you tell me a little bit more about that like what was what is like the main plot here and is is the main story more interesting or is the side stuff more interesting because this game's all about making decisions like some people who are more morally quote-unquote good have better blood will make you stronger and then some people who are morally bad who maybe should quote-unquote deserve to die um their blood 
blows, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I think for me personally, the main story was the most fun. But it's that sort of situation where, I mean, if you played through the game and, you know, you were you were met with that moral dilemma of taking one person out of the picture for the improvement of the entire district, um, you could do that and, you know, progress down a side quest that might not be interesting. Or you could take one person out of the picture in the district that just, you know, might cause a lot of really negative effects on it. And the series of events that follow that might, to you, become the more interesting story. Um, I mean, so it's going to be up to individual taste just a little bit. But I think in terms of how deep the writing is and how deep the characters are, the ones that are tied to the main story, by far, I think, are more rewarding to experience and more fun to interact with and more more exciting to learn about as you go through the game. Hmm. Well, I I have to admit I haven't touched it <laughs> at all yet. Uh, I mean, besides that first hour, which I know you're I know you're mad at me for. I know. I was going to tweet to you the other day in a public setting so everyone could see. Then you had to like commit to everyone that you were going to play it, but I figured I'd wait to hear on the show if you have or not. You really should. I think that if you like that sort of material, then you're going to enjoy the game. Even though combat sucks, I would say really you should give it a shot. Does it get better, the combat? Here's the thing. No, but I found myself getting better at the combat, especially as I powered up you know, Dr. Reed. Um, I mean, I would I'd put points into abilities that made it easier to dispatch weaker enemies quickly so I could take care of stronger enemies, you know, and, and not have to divide my attention like that. So I found myself naturally and kind of forcefully getting better at the combat by analyzing stuff like that. And that made it a little bit more enjoyable, but it never got to a moment where combat felt good and combat felt satisfying. I mean, the most satisfying part was just being done with a boss, but it never gave you that sort of endorphin rush where it's like, yes, after all this time, I finally beat him. I finally found the pattern that killed him. It was just like, oh man, thank goodness I'm done with that because I was getting super done with that part. Well, that's kind of a bummer to hear. I will say that I did beat the first boss and I thought it was such a bummer. Yeah. I mean, the bosses, there's a lot of really great variety in the bosses and I had a lot of fun with the final boss, to be honest. And there's another, um, I guess she's a boss, like mid, mid game that has a lot of really cool story, you know, implications, and a lot of stuff that kind of impacts your main character. And I think that that is really interesting. The stuff they do with the bosses are really interesting, but the combat just for me doesn't seal the deal. I think there's going to be a lot of people that can appreciate it because it's that sort of Dark Souls, Stanima based combat. There's a lot of people that the combat is going to resonate with, and it's totally fine that I'm not one of those people, but I think before you go into the game, anyone listening or even you, Ben, it's it's worth knowing that you should anticipate, you know, combat that's meant to be kind of slower paced like that in Stanima based in, you know, sort of a like a Soulsborne-esque combat style. And that's really, to me, kind of the biggest weakness of the game. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you're selling me on it. I'm <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I'm trying, but I I think it's more important to be honest with you. I I think it's, you know, I think this is a game that you have to kind of like, like you wouldn't call this a great game, would you? It's my number two for the year, to be to be perfectly frank. But you have to admit that there's a lot of stuff that detracts it from being great, right? Like, there's the combat, there's the jankiness, there's the way it looks. It doesn't look that great, right? I'm in the opposite camp. I think considering the budget that Don't Not had for it um, and not being like a AAA studio, I think the game looks really good. Yeah, but you're considering the budget. Isn't that cheating? Nah, I don't think so. 
All right. Well, you like the game. Any closing thoughts on Vampire before we say goodbye here? Yeah, for me, all in all, it's a game that I'd recommend you try. I mean, like I told you, if you like that material, check it out. For me, the reason to experience the game and the reason to check it out um, and not let it just kind of pass you by is that interaction that you have with all of the citizens in the district and like the ability to take one out of the picture and see how that affects the district or the ability to you know, improve one's health and have them more active in the district, you know, how that changes the district, not only in like merchants becoming more friendly and giving you discounts, um, but also the citizens themselves providing you like side quests and and events and stuff that happen like that. I think that's the reason to experience this. Um, I mean, I could see another company coming and trying to do something similar. And if they can do it better, that would be cool. I, I see that being kind of the evolution of narrative games in this sense. Um, but also, I think Don't Nod's done a fantastic job, you know, themselves of that. So I would say give it a shot, at least a little bit. If you don't love it, you know, put it down for whatever reason if you don't love it. But at least check out, you know, that interaction, you know, with the citizens and with the district and how that affects the entire game. Because I really have never seen a game do anything like that. No, it definitely has a lot of really cool ideas. I just think it, ex- uh, I don't know, I, I guess I just think the execution is... Not phenomenal. Do it. All right. <laughs> Thanks Do for it. joining us. Do it. That's our show for the week. As always, you can subscribe to GPS on various podcast services, including iTunes, Stitcher, the iPhone podcast app, CastBox, and all RSS feed. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Northern Frost. And Jordan, where are you? Find me on Twitter as well, um, especially if you like all the tweets about SGDQ. I've gotten a lot of comments about how many tweets I've put out about SGDQ. Um, I'm at underscore Jordan Aslett underscore. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-A-S-L-E-T-T. Don't forget the underscores on the front and the back of that. Um, hit me up with any sort of game comments. Tell me what you're playing. I'll tell you what I'm playing. I love to love to chat with people. You can follow the site on Twitter at GamerProsNews. And, of course, visit the site at GamerPros.co. we got a lot of good stuff coming up this week. As always, you can submit questions to be read on the air to Ben at GamerPros.co. Also, check out our Patreon page. We've got a buck or two to spare. We really appreciate that. Thank you to Visager for providing the music for the show. You can check out more of their stuff on the free music archive. And thank you for listening. And we will see you next week. <laughs>